Hello everyone, this is Christian Massar with another episode of the Historical Thoughts and Interpretations podcast. It seems that October 2022 for the podcast is a podcast about reviews and critiques. Uh, the last two episodes I talked about Hayden White's a literary uh, framework to, for, and applying it to historical works and also critiquing it a little bit in proving that historians are different from novelists. Today I'm going to be looking at I'm going to be reviewing uh, another book, Catherine Meredale's book from 2005, Ivan's War. It, but this is an historical work. It's not an historical fiction work like we talked about last time. So let's uh, after a quick little message, let's get right into it. Hello listeners, thank you so much for listening to this podcast and I sure hope that you've been enjoying the thoughts given in the historical thoughts and interpretations episodes. But I would like to ask if you would consider making a pledge to the podcast via Patreon. I have many projects in mind for this podcast and the books, paper, and so on needed to produce the episodes will not be free. Help keep historical thoughts flowing so that we can interpret the past and learn from it. You may pledge any amount that you like, and whatever you choose to give will be appreciated. If you would like to donate, go to my Patreon link at patron.podbean.com slash historical thoughts. And again, that's patron.podbean slash historical thoughts. Now, let's get back to the episode. In Ivan's War, the Red Army, 1935... In Ivan's War, the Red Army, 1939-45, to historian Catherine Meredale sheds light on the more than 30 million soldiers that fought in the Soviet Army from 1939 to 1945. She wanted to tell the previously, quote-unquote, unexplored stories of these many men American, British, and even German accounts. In this review, I will summarize some of the book's points and give my impressions of it. I will also summarize two reviews of the book written by Donald Filzer and Sean Morecambe. Meredale starts by telling of the mythical Soviet warfighter, the so-called Ivan myth. This demigod of battle was embodied in Vasily Tyorkin, a fictional soldier in a poem by Alexander Twardovsky. Tyorkin was the perfect soldier, Noble, not emotional or fearful, and he enjoyed to fire things like poetry and women. To unravel this myth of the Ivan, Meredale filled Ivan's war with stories of around 200 veterans collected through personal interviews. This gives her readers an intimate view into Soviet veterans' lives, making up for the less personal or even censored archives she had to pour through Ivan's War gives valuable insight into the daily life of Soviet soldiers. She asks an important question in this book. How much did communism inspire the troops? They had been surrounded by Joseph Stalin's image of in pamphlets and banners, and cities were named after him, such as Stalingrad. This reinforced the indoctrination they would have heard as youths in groups like the Komsomol Communist League. In the army, soldiers would be under the watchful eye of political officers, also known as commissars or politruks. These officers further indoctrinated, disciplined, and spied on soldiers. Yet, to some, they were hypocritical as they taught the frontline soldiers in, quote, clean boots, smooth hands, and unused cartridge belts. Other commissars reeked of moral corruption, and some soldiers plotted to murder theirs. In the end, despite communism's ubiquitous presence, Soldiers found that, quote, in the trenches, the last thing they thought about was Stalin. 
Meridale does an excellent job of analyzing the lives of frontline Soviet soldiers and successfully shatters the Tjorkin or Ivan myth. Just like soldiers from any other country, Red Army members were subject to all aspects of the human experience. They had to deal with a maddening shortage of food and clothing, and of course there was the stress of constant combat, but medical personnel were often ill-equipped to treat battle fatigue. Panic and post-traumatic stress disorder were seen as weaknesses, according to Meridale, shaming any soldier that snapped under the fighting. And Soviet soldiers had their vices. Sexual deviance was common, as some officers quote-unquote married many quote frontline wives who were really concubines. Both the German and Soviet troops spread sexual disease in the, on the Eastern Front. Worse yet, towards the end of the war, some Soviet soldiers took revenge on their enemies by raping German women and children. And in addition to this, there was much alcohol abuse. As for many alcoholics, booze served as a way of escape for addicted Soviet troops. Drunkenness became such a problem that one Soviet officer said in 1945 that without alcohol, the Germans would have been defeated in 1943. Vodka was traded on a frontline black market, and some soldiers even went as far as to drink antifreeze. It's interesting to note that information on such actions was suppressed. When conducting her research in one archive, Mary Dale found that data on drunkenness was blocked. Although she was able to find this information in another archive, she uses this to point out that even the post-Soviet Russian government maintains a culture of secrecy that protects its wartime image as an enemy of fascism. And that is true. Sometimes there are laws in, in Russia that could get people potentially in trouble for uh, casting the image of the Soviet Union in World War II in a bad light. And, you know, to be fair, it's, it's true in other countries. For example, in Ukraine, there's a, there was a law that came out a few years ago that it was made it illegal to denigrate the names of people that were called to be Ukrainian heroes. But contemporary soldiers during World War II had it even worse. Mary Dale tells of one veteran, Lev Kopelev, who was arrested for protesting against Soviet pillaging in Prussia. Others were similarly shut down. Yet, Soviet troops had virtues as well. One orphan boy, for example, Vasily Andreevich, was starving after the Germans had burned his house down. This was until he came across some Soviet troops who, quote, adopted him, clothed him, and fed him in exchange for work. He stayed with the army until the end of the war. About 25,000 other poor children were similarly adopted into the army. Camaraderie was tight among the troops as well, Mary Dale says, even if friendships did not last long. Strong army friendships formed quickly to the point that some wounded soldiers begged to be back on the front. At war's end, soldiers suffered, quote, aching loss <clears throat> when going home away from their comrades. Many of these friendships lasted for the rest of soldiers' lives. So that's what Meridale talked about in Ivan's War. It's a brief summary of some of the things she mentioned and, and discussed in the book. My thoughts on it, uh, the book is well-structured, starting with the days before the Finnish War and ending with the victory over Nazi Germany. This allows readers to see the Red Army transform from an ill-equipped, ill-prepared, rather primitive military force in November 1939 to an unstoppable bulwark in 1945. However, Meridale does repeat some topics a few times. That's one criticism I had of the book. For example, alcoholism is mentioned more than once in very different parts of the book. She does not address all topics in single parts, making these parts somewhat redundant. Also, the book would be more complete, I think, if it dedicated a chapter to the personal lives of Soviet generals like Zhukov or Rostislavsky. 
so instead of just going, a lot of people really like being in the, um, and, you know, like learning about the down and dirty life with the, with the troops, you know, and shows like Band of Brothers, for example, show this very well. Um, and there are many memoirs, like I've mentioned about, uh, like American memoirs and, uh, and so on. And, and then Ivan's War added, uh, to, added to this the experience of Soviet soldiers. So, but it would be also interesting if, in this case, she also talked about the leadership as well as the troops on the front line. Donald Filzer, in his review in History Workshop Journal, called Ivan's War a tour de force. He especially praised how the book gives a different picture of World War II than is most often presented. While the Western Allied armies suffered many hardships during the war, Filzer says that Mary Dale's book gives a more dismal picture of battle conditions. Soviet troops have to suffer wor far worse starvation, supply problems, and much more deadly battles than did the Western Allies. And while an American soldier might worry about something such as marital infidelity back home on the other side of the world, Soviet civilians might not survive the war because they went through the same trials as the Red Army did. Malnourishment, disease, filth, and living under German occupation. You know, and of course, American territory was attacked. I mean, of course, Pearl Harbor, and then the Philippines, and Wake Island, and the Aleutian Islands. But really, like, you know, there was no blockade of Los Angeles. You know, there was no, um, and from the Canadian side, there was no massive attack against Vancouver. You know, uh, Victoria wasn't occupied. Uh, there was no land invasion uh, of either Quebec or the BC Peace, for example. So it was a very different experience from what the Soviet Union and its soldiers and civilians experienced. So Filzer is saying that Ivan's war um, gives that much-needed perspective. Filzer's review gives background to the previously mentioned Ivan myth. He says that during Leonid Brezhnev's time as General Secretary of the Soviet Communist Party, 1964-82, during this time a narrative emerged that idolized the Soviet World War II soldier. The purpose of this narrative was to give Soviet citizens a sense of duty and place in society. But Mikhail Gorbachev's Glasnost and Perestroika programs later in the 1980s killed this narrative. Because of Gorbachev, the official propagandized perceptions of Soviet history were able to be openly discussed. And this discussion was able to happen, despite uh, the difficulties Meridale had in searching some government records. Meridale devotes a chapter in her book to the early post-war period, in which she says that Stalin achieved a, quote, stolen victory. After a victory parade on June 24, 1945, about, just about two months after uh, the war, the victory in Europe, Stalin said that the Soviet soldiers were the, quote, little screws and bolts in the great engine of his state, according to Meridale's words. This reduced the Red Army fighter to the status of little cogs in the machine that were to be under his total control. Veterans were hopeful that after the war there would be changes back home. They had seen a different, more prosperous, non-communist world in Europe. But hopes for such changes were dashed, if they had any hopes for that. In addition to stealing victory from the veterans and generals, Stalin kept his pre-war system alive. There were still mass imprisonments, fear remained a political tool, the war had left society divided, and Stalin was still paranoid. The post-war world was not better than the old one, leading to a sad irony. In Meridale's words, in fighting for their own aims, they, the soldiers, were ensuring the survival of the Stalinist state. Sean Morcom, in the Journal of Contemporary History, similarly praised Meridale's book as, quote, finely crafted. 
He says that such memoirs of Soviet soldiers are rare because during the Cold War, these troops were depicted as unsophisticated hordes that charged into, quote, suicidal attacks. The Western film, Enemy at the Gates, which depicted the Battle of Stalingrad, is a good or bad example of this. Ivan's War is different because it makes accessible the somewhat widely unknown Soviet wartime experience. According to Morecambe, Ivan's War has a few surprises, such as Meridale's treatment of, quote, Stalin's notorious 1942 decree, not one step back. Morecambe notes that while this order is usually seen as indicative of Stalin's cruelty, Meridale shows that it, that it and harsh military discipline were in fact perceived as good things, part of a useful, quote, Stalinist resolve in a time of crisis. Filzer and Morecambe do level some criticisms at Ivan's War. Filzer is disappointed in Meridale's neglectful treatment of the Nazi collaborators in, the U in Ukraine and the Baltic countries. Filzer states that Meridale almost justifies the collaborators' atrocities by clothing them in patriotism and anti-Stalinist fervor. Yet, before German soldiers even entered Lviv in modern western Ukraine, those who chose to do so were already persecuting Jews en masse. And Morecambe suggests that while Meridale's work is a good collection of stories, it, quote, lacks our overall argumentative edge because it, quote, weaves theory, culture, rhetoric, and individual testimony into an archaeological account. Finally, Morecambe criticizes Ivan's war because while it tries to unveil the, quote, true Ivan, it finds that communist ideology still influenced individual contemporary thinking. This causes a paradox in which, quote, many fragments of the mythical Ivan Art narrative are revealed while Meridale tries to destroy it with the true Ivan story, right? So Morecambe is suggesting that, that yes, Meridale is trying to unmask the true Ivan and destroy the myth and so on, but she, he also finds that communist ideology is still, still there. But, I mean, one must also remember that these soldiers were fighting for a communist dictatorship. Right? in which propaganda and ideology were prevalent throughout. So, I mean, the, connect the comparison is not exact, of course. We don't want to do that. But just like an American soldier at the time might be thinking, thinking about freedom and democracy, he's being told about freedom and democracy, you know, <laughs> the uh, truth, justice in the American way. I believe that's Superman. But, you know, you get the picture, right? But at the same time, a Red Army combatant would have been aware of and hearing all the time about Stalinist communism, while repelling, while repelling the brutal Nazi invader. So I think that this idea of, you know, when you're looking at the true Ivan, if you find that communist ideology is there, like Meridale did say that a lot of soldiers thought the last thing I thought about was Stalin when I'm in the trenches. Um, but at the same time, that communist ideology would be there. That would have an effect. Overall, Ivan's War is a great book that is recommended for any military historian or an enthusiast's collection. I thought it was a good book, and it's a rare gem of Soviet memoir among the plethora of World War II books that are on the market. Well, at least in the Western market, anyway. You know, go to Russia, you'll find a lot of, of Russian um, memoirs there. The book was also very readable, making the Stalinist wartime experience and the true Ivan narrative accessible to anyone. Well, that's a quick little review of Ivan's War. I hope you enjoyed the listen, and I hope you're all doing well. Have a great day, and enjoy November.